Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. lucky enough recently to catch up with Casey Ellis of Bug Crowd fame. We chatted about the evolution of the security space as a whole and how he sees the collaboration and augmentation of security services changing the industry. And the founders amongst you will be glad that we managed a bit of a dive into his past and the lessons he's learnt too. Okay, so Casey, I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while, and I know you are also a fellow Australian, and I have watched your business, I guess, from inception to what you're doing now, and we'd like to always start off our podcast with talking about you and your journey. Can you please tell our listeners about where you started to where you are now? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I did you know, a total of six weeks of a science degree. Before I dropped out and uh, ended up in a network engineering role and started to, you know, kind of hack stuff and and get into this kind of idea of, you know, security testing and and, and whatnot. That's something that I've been doing prior to that, uh, you know, as a kid. But it became something that I was able to apply in a career context, and it kind of went from there. So, like the the genesis of Bug Crowd was like looking at the existing security assessment market. And realizing that um, there's not enough people to go around, like mm-hmm. there is like a lot of people that are waiting at the table to be able to help, and they're not invited at this point. So how do we create a vehicle for companies to do that easily and connect, you know, their problems with the right talent that's out there? And what? So you, so you obviously came up with the Genesis Forward Bug Crowd. How did that originally start? Like, what sort of gave you that idea? The actual story around that is that I was running a pen test company mm-hmm. in uh, Sydney, and mm-hmm. um, you know, really what I saw was that there was a, like a huge demand for this type of work, not enough people to go around, like the ability to connect, you know, unmet uh, demands with like latent potential that was out there in the market in terms mm-hmm. of supply, and. Um, yeah, looking at what was happening with like Google and Facebook and, and the different companies that at that point in time were starting to do vulnerability reward programs, like the companies that I was talking to in the context of traditional pen testing and, and security consulting work, they're mm-hmm. all interested in that idea. And, uh, you know, they, they wanted to get my thoughts on it. So, you know, I started asking them, like, why aren't you doing it yourself? And they all said the same things, like, it's hard. You know, there's there's like difficulty in payments, like management of the crowd itself. Like, I'm not sure I trust hackers, like all of these different objections that, you know, we ended up really taking and actually building as as the beater of bug crowd. Mm-hmm. Now, in saying that, I know I know that you pioneered the crowdsource security as a service model. And as you would be aware of in the security industry, when things are sort of new people, their adaption to that is a little slower. So I'm keen to hear how your approach was around, like you said, objections before, but how people sort of adapted to taking this on as this is the way forward we should be operating uh, in terms of pen testing. Yeah, for sure. Like it felt very similar to how it felt when pen testing first hit the market 
you know, in the early 2000s, like this idea of, wait a sec, you're going to get this like bad person who can do bad things to try to give me feedback. Um, mm-hmm. There was an iteration of that that happened when pen testing first hit the market and all of a sudden it became ubiquitous. Yeah, it was it was quite similar to that, like this idea of, okay, if they're not, you know, if, if the people that are giving feedback or doing testing on my systems aren't physically in the same building, like I therefore cannot trust them. Um, we had to challenge that assumption in, in, in the people that we were working with at that point in time. And some people got it, others didn't. And, and really like the job for us over the past or well, the subsequent seven years has been to convince, you know, the rest of the market that, yeah, this is actually the future of work and, and how you're going to get access to this kind of talent. So when you say others didn't really like the idea or they weren't sort of adapting to that, can you talk to me a little bit? F- further about what were some of the objections that people were sort of giving you in terms of, yes, trust is one of them, but what were some of the other things that people were sort of a bit reluctant to get on board with this idea? Yeah, sure. Um, it, like crowdsourcing as a, as a general model, it's very effective and it's very powerful. It's also quite mm-hmm. noisy. So like to be able to you know distinguish the signal from the noise, like if you've got a security team within an organization that's already like resource constrained, um, mm-hmm it becomes a difficult thing to consider taking on. So there was that, um, you know, the idea of like, how do I pay someone in like Uzbekistan or like Romania or India or wherever else? Like that's a particularly mm-hmm. difficult thing to do. That's more of an admin problem than anything else. Um, those were the initial kind of objections that we saw around the model. Like everyone seemed at that point to, to you know, have their head around the idea that if you're competing against a crowd of adversaries, um, a crowd of allies seems to make sense as a solution. They just didn't know how to make that work. So, like, Bug Crowd's role in that equation was, you know, how do we actually make that work? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally, I understand that. And do you think, like you said, Bug Crowd's been around for about seven years. Do you think, how did you get these people on board in terms of this journey and how to think differently? Was it just in terms of education and then uh, case studies from other companies that had seen this being quite successful? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, there's definitely been that more recently. I think and mm-hmm. initially it was the idea that, oh, wow, we're actually welcome to do this now. Like, you know, the, the reality is that the hacker community has been waiting at the table to help um, mm-hmm. for the better part of, you know, 20 or 30 years. And, and you know, really what this has changed is the uh, the market's perception of whether or not that help is useful and whether or not they're going to invite it. Um, so, you know, the initial kind of, growth of, of the community itself was really out of, you know, sending out a few tweets and saying, hey, listen, like, we're going to try to start this, like, bug bounty as a service thing. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to hack on some cool stuff, like, sign up <laughs> and, and go from there. And that that actually blew up pretty quickly. So, you know, the, the whole idea of, um, you know, the, the, the people already being available to assist with this problem, like, that's kind of what we tapped into early on in the piece. Like since then, what we've done is mm-hmm. we've developed an ambassador program within Bug mm-hmm. Crowd. So like identifying folks within the community that have the ability to teach um, and that have the ability and the desire really to like network out their kind of idea of what it means to be a good professional in this space mm-hmm. and actually, you know, impart that knowledge to other folk. Like that's part of what we've set out to identify and, and, and basically empower 
um, in order to scale the supply side of what we're doing. I love that. I think that's I think that's really 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 cool. I'd like to move forward with some of the outcomes for organisations leveraging this kind of solution. So, what are some of the typical requirements and outcomes for some of your customers? Yeah, so like the thing to be clear on is that there's a spectrum of ways that you can engage the crowd. Like there's organizations like, you know, MasterCard and Tesla and, you know, some of the other like technology or financial services folk that we work with uh, here in the U.S. that are prepared to be able to, um, you know, invite the open Internet to come in and, and, and do this type of work. Right. Like that's part of what we do. And that's more around. You know, vulnerability disclosure and and what's traditionally considered as a bug bounty program. Probably the bigger part of what we do is is actually private. Um, so yeah, that's for organisations that we're not listing on the website uh, who like need to get access to talent and get security feedback on where there might be vulnerabilities in their systems. And mm-hmm. what we're doing at that point is taking what we know about the skills. You know, the level of trust, the level of capability that exists within the different individuals within the crowd and actually compiling a, a team to, to come in and, you know, try to help them solve their problem at that point. So, like, that's that's kind of the spread of how this whole thing works. Like, there's a private version and a public version. I think that's important to call out because that's often confused when, when people, like, look at us as, you know, a bug bounty company. I think the, the whole bug bounty model has been really beneficial to you know supporting the idea that hackers aren't just bad people they're actually potentially helpful mm-hmm. um, but at the same time there are more than one way um, you know, the, the, there's more ways than one rather to uh, to actually connect that resource to the problems that you know organizations have in your experience where do you believe the industry should be focusing from a bug bounty perspective what does the future look like for this type of engagement for customers yeah like i think the future of work for the better part is distributed um like mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've we've been building out enterprises and organizations and trying to get specialist feedback based on our ability to hire folk and have them come in and work full-time um, I think, you know, as things accelerate and scale, especially when it comes to technology, you know, we've already started to test the limits of that. Um, so the idea of being able to, you know, democratically access talent through platforms uh, based on the specific thing that we need to solve at a given point in time, yeah, you know, I think that's very much a part of where security is going. I actually do also think that it's part of, you know, how a lot of other industries are going to progress over the next, you know, 10 or 20 years or so. Um, but, you know, the, the whole idea around starting bug crowd was seeing that um, the supply demand imbalance and the fact that, you know, these kind of folk are so difficult to get access to um, was forcing folks like Google and Facebook to launch programs in the way that they did. Uh, to be able to, you know, create more unique and creative ways of getting access to those types of people. So, like, to me, I, I think this concept in general, like, it's seen as bug bounties and it's talked about that, I think, generally, um, but it's more a symptom of where work in general is going. 
Can I also ask what – so you've got bug bounty and you've got traditional pen testing. Do you believe that this uh, bug bounty will potentially start overtaking the traditional pen testing? What's your opinion on that as well? Because I've read different perspectives from different types of people within the industry. Some say both, some say just traditional, some say just bug bounty. But I'm really keen to hear your thoughts because you started off in a more traditional pen testing type of role and then admittedly you have then moved into doing the crowdsourcing type uh, service model so I'm keen to hear what you where you believe that the future of that would also be as well yeah so when you ask that question what do you mean by pen testing so working so for example I used to work in a bank a few years ago and we used to have BAU pen testing we also have external pen testing done so on any applications we would have uh anything that went live within the bank part of our policy was we had to get everything pen tested um it was just part of our policy but yeah. then it got to a stage where it's like it just felt like they were just pen testing for the sake of it it didn't really feel like people were looking outside of the box, and I believe that that's where the crowdsourced model thinks differently because you have got a number of people looking at things, whereas when you're just operating as a traditional pen testing house, sometimes the, the methods and of how to approach a particular, I don't know, web app or whatever might be the same. So I'm keen to understand how that is going to change over time. Yeah, the engagement of the crowd, like the engagement mm-hmm. of services as a platform is, is bounded by logistical access, access to the target or the problem yep. that's being asked to, you know, give in, input on. Um, mm-hmm. it's also bounded by the level of trust that the program owner will place in the people, uh, that okay. invited. And, it, and, you know, that one's interesting because I think we've started off with a very low level of trust, but, yeah, just last week in, in uh, Las Vegas at Black Hat and DEFCON, we talked about doing, you know, source code analysis for the Department of Defense here in, in, in the U.S. So I think some of the assumptions around how much, you know, one can trust the crowd are being fundamentally challenged at this point, and I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, really it, it, at that point, it comes down to also, you know, is it like a point or a specific point of input that you're looking to get from, from these people? Like, is it, you know, around a specific vulnerability or are you looking mm-hmm. for consultants to come in and actually partner with you to help you develop your SDLC or, you know, your defensive mitigations, like architecture, like whatever else? Mm-hmm. You know, to me, like the relationship to your question that that is starting to evolve and that mm-hmm. we're actually, you know, starting to partner with Pentest companies to actually create is mm. where the crowd is doing what it's best at and consultants are doing what they're best at. And it's actually a symbiosis. It's not like us versus them, um, which Got I think you. it's been traditionally thought of. Mm, yes, exactly. That's yeah, why I right. wanted to unpack that a little more. So you guys are sort of going to be augmenting that quote-unquote traditional capabilities, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. Because you know, like my my fundamental belief and part of the reason for starting the business is that a lot of what the market consumes as you know quote-unquote pen testing right now, mm-hmm. yes, delivered by the crowd with far greater effectiveness than what they're getting right now. And that doesn't mean that the people that are doing that work today 
become irrelevant and have to go off and do you know something completely different. It's like mm. an opportunity for them to actually deepen their impact uh, further into the um, kind of more strategic parts of, of you know planning, design, input, whatever else, like true consulting, uh, in a way that the crowd is less suited to. And I think there's actually a really good kind of fit there. I guess also just from hearing you speak, uh, that's a really good way of putting it. It's not a, a them versus you guys. Uh, it's because uh, working in sort of security consulting originally before doing this, it when you're talking to customers and stuff like that, I don't think it's more about like why do you want to do pen testing? And I think, as you would know, a lot of people just sort of want it to do as a tick in the box or do you actually want to know what type of vulnerabilities are sitting within your organization to yeah, fix yeah, them? Yeah. No, for sure. And like that's, I mean, like what we did with NGPT was to basically deliberately address the fact that compliance and ticking mm-hmm. the box and being able to say that you've got coverage and assurance <laughs> yeah. things um, is a reason to do this in the first place. Like do we, mm-hmm. you know, I fundamentally don't like assurance um, because it implies for people that are outside of the risk audience that, you know, the fact that you've proven a negative um, is the, you know, like it implies that you're not vulnerable at that point, which is not true. Like you, mm-hmm. You, you've just tried to some degree, and if you haven't found something, great, you've tried. Like, you need to be able to tell that story. Um, it doesn't mean there's nothing there. And it doesn't mean that if an adversary shows up and has more capacity to apply themselves to, you know, owning your stuff than, than mm-hmm. you've applied at that point, that you'll be, you know, fine, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. you know, part of what we did with NGPT was to be able to say, okay, if you need to – if you need to actually demonstrate the fact that you've followed through a methodology, you've followed through, you know, the different requirements of assurance that are mandated by different compliance standards, you know, we can help you meet that as well. But what we also want to do is like double down on your ability to actually truly assess the risk of your environment um, mm-hmm. and get that feedback at the same time. Mm-hmm. Before we move on to your entrepreneurial journey, I'd like to just also ask, how how are you getting again pen testing houses to sort of get your capability to augment what they're doing? What how are you sort of I guess what's your comms around getting people on board with this type of we're not here to take you over, we're here to actually make you look really awesome? Because yeah. I speak to a number of different pen testing houses. Uh, I think some of them may feel threatened by this idea. Yep. Uh, so I'm keen to hear how you would change their mindset on going like, hey, we're actually here to augment you. We're not here to like run you out of business or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. And, and this is this is why I brought it back to the idea of like logistically accessible mm-hmm. targets, like things that are either common in in the skills that are available from the crowd to be able to actually provide input or, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're focusing up in, in, in that kind of way. Um and, you know, some of the criteria that, like, define, you know, the, the unique value of crowdsourcing. Um, it's it's an interesting one because I think, you know, every pen test company still that, that I speak to, regardless of whether they're large or small, they all market themselves based on the fact that they've got the most badass people on the planet. Right. Uh, do, like, really awesome stuff, you know, in this particular domain that they've decided to double down on. Um, but if you, you know, spend more than five minutes with the people that are actually running those companies, 
and you ask them, like, where does your revenue come from? 70% or more is generally from commoditized web app or, or infrastructure pen testing on mm-hmm. a basis. So it's like, okay, yeah, you've got, you know, a team that can do really cool stuff. They're not actually getting to do that because mm-hmm. you've got so much opportunity when it comes to the more, um, you know, crowdsourceable elements of security assessment. And like, okay, like, why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't you double down? On, on, on doing the things that you specialized your team around and actually hired your people to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, ostensibly provide a longer term contract value to them as a, as a consulting agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and then leave the rest to us because we can do that at massive scale and without, you know, having to wait for 14 weeks for the right principal consultant to become whatever like there's all that stuff is logistically solvable with with our model that actually allows pen test companies to get onto the things that they would probably prefer to be doing frankly Um, so that's a lot of how we pitch it like it's like Mm -hmm. you know what would you rather do would you rather you know do the things that the crowd can do or would you rather actually specify into you know the unique elements of your team and your business to be able to provide like long-term benefit mm-hmm. in a way that the crowd's not as ideally suited to, to deliver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. I think that's a really great question that if people are listening should be asking themselves. Yeah. What I'd like to dive into is your entrepreneurial journey. I'm really keen on my own personal interest, but also other people out there that are uh, developing security companies. And I've read a few articles uh, within Smart Company about you and a few things that you've sort of said within those interviews that you wouldn't wouldn't have been able to grow bug crowd as quickly uh, if your company had stayed in Sydney. And this is very relevant topic for conversation amongst myself and other people. Can you please walk me through this whole experience? What did this look like for you? Yeah, I mean, like, really what it came down to, so the precursor to moving out to San Francisco was a conversation that my wife and I had mm-hmm. probably two years before Bug Crowd even came up, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, we wanted to get out of Australia at some point and experience living somewhere else and, and, and being able to exploit the opportunities of other environments and whatever else. So, like, we're already kind of set up for that in in, in terms of our thinking. And then when... Bug crowd popped up as something that we decided that we needed to do. Um, really, what it came down to was the fact that you know this this whole concept of like bug bounties, like VRP vulnerability disclosure, like all of that stuff, it had its genesis here in Silicon Valley. Um, mm-hmm. So logically, the most wisdom and the most input that we'd be able to access would be here, and and that's. Mm-hmm. Pretty much it. Like it's it's not like a diss on Sydney or you know any other part of the world that you could do a startup from. It's just the fact that you know I think Silicon Valley has been doing this for longer. It's like mm-hmm. being an actor and not going to Hollywood. You know, yes. <laughs> that special about Hollywood. It's just been doing it for a really long time, um, and there's a lot of like resource and and infrastructure and input and wisdom that you can access as an actor if you go to Hollywood. It's basically the same thing with coming here. In some of your interviews, you talked about uh, tall poppy syndrome. Now, 
I think this is something I personally talk about because I see it a yeah. lot uh, in Australia. I yeah. think also, in my opinion, uh, because of that fact, I believe that we are compromising ourselves in terms of talent and growth within Australia because, as you would know, if uh, you start doing better than the quote-unquote crowd – uh, people don't really like that. I, I'm keen to hear your advice or opinion on that because it's something that's been around for a long time. We all know about it. And I think there is a lot of talent in Australia, but I, I do think that people are scared because of this tall poppy so, uh, tall poppy syndrome. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as a, as a culture, we suck at sales. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's really what it comes down to. Like we're, where I, I believe uniquely gifted when it comes to troubleshooting, like if I have a problem that I need to solve within, you know, a limited time frame, and I only have access to whatever is within arm's reach, like I want to have an Australian with me at that point in time. So like we're really good at creating solutions to problems. And I think mm-hmm. we actually underrate ourselves in our ability to do that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we're so hesitant about promoting that, um, that we end up getting cut off like you know like wi-fi was created by the csiro and like no one knows that <laughs> do, do you know right. like, so yeah. like, there's all of these examples where like australians have gone to the mat on a solution that they believe is true for a problem and mm-hmm. been right um but then not gotten the credit or or been able to capitalize on the success of that um and I think that's the fundamental issue. Like, it's it's interesting coming to the U.S. because, you know, you look at like how this country came to be in the first place. Like, there's people that came out to be entrepreneurial and like grow and and do all of that stuff. And there was things that were successful, and that's like formed like the base culture of of this nation. I think. Mm-hmm. It's not as frowned upon either. I think as well. Like. No, I mean, it's encouraged. Like, I mean, exactly. like, you, like if you were here, like you and I could both decide that we want to be president one day and, <laughs> and both think that's awesome. Like if we we're in Australia, I'd be like, ah, nah, that's bullshit. Like you will never do that. Like whatever. And you'd probably be doing the same thing to me, which is like the cultural difference. Mm. Yeah. You know, how things work by default here in the U S versus versus Australia. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think being mindful of that is really important. But then also, like, what I learned from from coming out here is that um, you can't fake it. Like, th- there, there are things that are uniquely um, important about how we operate that, you know, ultimately I think it becomes the role of the entrepreneur to be able to channel and contextualize into the audience here in the U.S. to mm-hmm. be able to successful right Mm -hmm, so like mm -hmm. i you know i came out here and had a bunch of people really excited about what bug crowd was doing at that point in time and like you know i got told yeah just be bold and brash and like beat your chest and you know say a bunch Mm -hmm. of really exciting stuff and i tried to do that and it didn't work because i was lying like i was fundamentally full of shit at that point and i'm not a good liar which is (laughs) sort of a cultural feature of australians so like what I realized at that point is that like the, 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 the goal is not to just walk yourself into doing things the way that America does it. It's a matter mm-hmm. of actually learning the language. You know, it's, it's, you. you know, if you were moving to India or, you know, Spain or somewhere that speaks like literally a different language to Aussies, 
it's the same process. It, it, it's really a matter of understanding, like, how do people understand what you're saying, what you're trying to do, and, and the value in that, and then how, you, how do you connect those two things together? I really do understand what you're saying only because we do work with American companies and it's – I had to explain to someone recently about what tall poppy syndrome actually was. And they're like, that's a horrible thing that people do then. And it, and it really is, which leads me to my next point about what advice could you give to someone looking to start their security company and take it to the US? You're, you're very experienced in this and – and I also think like you just probably didn't really – you got to a stage where you didn't really care and you're just like, I'm doing this and I'm just going to forge ahead with what, 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 what my vision is. Yeah, which I also think is a quintessentially Australian attribute. Like we, we believe in what we think is true and then we just double down. Like mm-hmm. I, I think there's, you know, a, a hunger for that in the market right across the board and people that exhibit those traits are, you know, people that end up being successful because, you know, if they're not lying as they're doing that, like it ends up working out, if that makes sense. Like the idea of, okay, like if you if you think you've got a solution to a problem and you're taking it out to market, like just double down, like just go. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's literally it. And, and And I think, you know, the whole idea of like the nuance around, understanding how to speak the language and like how to, you know, not undersell yourself and all of that stuff. Like those are things that you'll learn along the way. Um, Mm -hmm. But the fundamental thing is don't compromise on your vision of what the future is. Like as an entrepreneur, your job is to see what you think is going to be next and then Mm -hmm. speak that thing into being and then bring a team along for the ride and make it happen. And like, that's it. Um, so, you know, I think Aussies are, are predisposed to doing that because we do that without all of the fanfare. We just get it done naturally. Like if you add mm-hmm. sales to that and, and like, you know, the whole idea of scale and like tall poppy syndrome and I don't want to stick my neck out too far, otherwise I'm <laughs> fun stuff, like it complicates it. But the fundamental truth is still there. Like if we back ourselves around the things that we think are going to solve a problem, that we or other people have, and then don't compromise on that, then we'll eventually succeed. I love that. I love that. What what would you have changed uh, along your journey in terms of your professional history or even your company direction that might lead to valuable insight for our listeners inside of security or even someone in the midst of their own tech startup? Um. Yeah, like ultimately, I think it boils down to humility, but then also knowing what humility is. It's not like I don't know anything, so you should teach me everything and I'm just going to listen and obey. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not humility. And I think that's what humility often is interpreted as. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, to to me, the true sense of what, you know, being humble in execution means is like knowing like where you're world leading in in your your opinion or your intelligence or your execution or whatever it might be and and be fully committed to going to the mat on those things so like there's there's a you know almost what would be like normally interpreted as arrogance um implied by that but then Mm -hmm. for everything else it's like okay here's a bunch of shit that i don't know (laughs) um Mm -hmm. where am i going to find out like how to do those things like how do i you know, get to a point where I'm comfortable asking 
really stupid questions to really smart people and then like <laughs> grading their input into how I'm executing. Well, that's, you're so right. And I think you gotta get to a stage where you, you, you know, that. you need to know what you don't know, and then you need to find someone to hire or a company to do that for you. And it's sort of that entrepreneurial trap that I see a lot of people trying to do everything and then they end up doing nothing. Yep. So, yeah. well, and, and also you see like companies that grow to a point where the founders end up, you know, either flaming out or being summarily dismissed or the company fails or whatever else. It's because they haven't integrated that input. Like they can only go so far. Like, any mm -hmm. human being mm -hmm. can only go so far. Um, like you, you can only know what you know. And exactly. It really becomes a matter of like, how do you integrate the input of others to be able to take you further than that? And like, 100%. That's, that's, that's the lost art. Like that's the part that's, you know, frankly, really difficult. And, you know, for, for founders that are listening to this and people that want to do startups, like that to me is the thing that, you know, frankly, has gotten me to where I am right now. Like, I'm not that, you know, I don't, I don't know what the hell I'm doing half the time. <laughs> I, I'll freely admit that. And I've got some very strong convictions around where I believe the market is going or what should be done. Mm -hmm. And like, those are the things that people know. But when it comes to execution on that, that's where I rely on others to come in around that and mm -hmm. actually make the things that I don't know happen. I, like I said, I do see it a lot, and I think it's something that people should take a, a page out of your book and understand that that's the key to to scaling and, and to really growing your business to the next level. But Casey, I've I've been really inspired by your story. As I said in the beginning, I have been following your journey. I've done a lot of reading about yourself individually and, and what you've fostered as a belief, and also how your company has grown. I. I really do appreciate you taking the time to, to chat to myself and our listeners. But if people do want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, BugCrowd is, uh, you know, BugCrowd.com and we're, you know, at BugCrowd on Twitter, LinkedIn, all of those other things. Me personally, I'm at uh, CJE.io and CaseyJohnEllis.com. And, you know, I think, you know, from a security standpoint and, and just being able to partner with Australian companies and help them move forward, you know, Bug Crowd is is more than happy and willing to do that. Like we're, we're a big fan of how Australia seems to have taken on the security mandate, mandate and leadership role. Um, you know, we want to support that and actually make that happen. And, and from an entrepreneurial standpoint, I'm always happy to help Aussie founders, you know, get to the next thing. Awesome. That's, that's super cool. And I, and I really appreciate you taking the time today. So thank you so much. Perfect. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to KB Cast, the cybersecurity podcast for executives. We always value your support and would love it if you could leave us a review or a comment on your platform of choice, iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And that's always appreciated. Till next time.